Welcome everyone to the American Constitution Society's Twitter space on all things repro rights. We appreciate you all joining us today for this timely conversation as we await the Supreme Court's final decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, which is expected by many to overturn Roe v. Wade and nearly 50 years of precedent protecting reproductive rights and bodily autonomy. I'm Peggy Lee, Director of Chapters at ACS. I'm joined today by two friends and allies in the repro rights space, Jenny Ma, Senior Staff Attorney at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Jenny, can you say hi? Hello, everyone in the Twitter sphere. <laughs> and Roseanne Maria Purim, Executive Director of Jane's Due Process. Hey, everyone. So happy to be here. You may recognize their names and voices from our recent Broken Law podcast episode, Reproductive Rights in Crisis. If you haven't caught that episode already, please go check it out. You can listen to Broken Law wherever you get your podcasts. So Jenny and Roseanne, really excited to see you both today. Um, we're, so, we're so happy that you came to join us and to have this conversation. We're going to start light because you know, what we're going to start year? light oh. here. Um, 2022. It, it, okay, it's 2022. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard month. But, you know, we last checked in about a month ago. You've had a ton of interviews and folks keep asking you how you're doing. It's a really awkward question. So we're not going to do that. We're going to ask you what song or artist or album that you've been listening to on repeat. And then I'm going to copy that. I'm going to listen to that, too. So what are y'all listening to? <laughs> that is a lot of pressure. Um, and it's an amazing starter question. Much better than how are you doing? <laughs> um, so I will say, um, true to my motherland, um, I've been listening to a lot of K-pop recently. Um, and not to offend any BTS ARMY people out there, but um, I've been listening to a lot of Blackpink because they're amazing. And um, it allows you to have really great sing-alongs, but also um, secret dance parties. So that is bringing me a lot of joy lately. Um, and I'm probably going to go more throwback. I love Bill Withers and I've just been listening to a ton of Bill Withers because I feel like he's brings a lot of joy and he's been the mood in my house. All right. I'm going to put those on my Spotify playlist. We will go <laughs> from there. Um, all right. So since we still don't have a decision yet, I am scrapping that part of my outline. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to check in on this new frontier for creative lawyering because we now have the opportunity to prepare for what's going to come. Um, so as we know, for nearly 50 years, abortion litigation has focused on Roe. If Roe's overturned, future litigation is going to look really different. So for example, you know, SB8 is an evil stroke of genius. What is the counter for that, for innovative legal thinking in response to abortion? Is the state constitution, is the U.S. constitution? What, what are we doing for creative lawyering? Jenny? Sure. And I will just say for folks who might not know, we are at the ACS conference right now. And I'm really just inspired because um, being around progressive lawyers allows me to believe in creative lawyering. I, I know that just exists as a person who likes to think of herself as a creative lawyer, but to be surrounded um, by folks here um, and seeing Justice Sotomayor give her very compelling um, speech and conversation was just fantastic and just makes me believe and hope in the future. So I'll start with that. That said, um, you know, we don't have a final decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization yet. Um, but as we talked about in our um, last time we saw each other, right, there was the leaked draft. And so we have been getting ready as a movement, um, as a lawyering group. Um, and we've always known that this day could potentially come because Roe has never been sufficient and enough, right? It's always been um, a floor, not a ceiling 
And the liberty right described in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey has never really translated into sufficient protections for everyone in a broad right to reproductive autonomy. Um, so, you know, in a hopeful way, if the worst comes to pass in the Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, um, the possibility of losing Roe and Casey to me um, allows us to envision the right um, that we would want to create. Um, and we can kind of start from the beginning in some ways, right? It is an opportunity to move beyond kind of the confines of the liberty right established in Roe, um, to think about other constitutional rights, other legal principles that we could deploy to have a more um, fundamental and robust right to reproductive autonomy. So that includes equality principles that have since developed since that road decision, right? Um, so we have um, a whole host of um, different cases that we can rely on um, that are not necessarily rooted in liberty. Um, there's also um, robust protections that we can think through co state constitutions. Um, for folks who don't know, the federal constitution is actually the floor and there are states um, that either have currently or there are um, various fights happening that, that look to state constitutions and expanding the right um, there. I also think we need to look at the federal government. Um, there are bills like the Women's Health Protection Act, and Congress must act, and they need to step up to pass this federal law to protect the right to abortion. Um, and it's already passed the House um, this past year. Um, and then there are, you know, straight to the public, Right. Um, there are ballot initiatives in several states. And I really um, want to echo what Justice Sotomayor said just a few hours ago, that it's really up to the people to do something um, as well. So it's a combination of creative lawyering. It's a combination of people power um, uh, to help us lead the way. Can you tell our audience a little more about what is in the laws of the federal legislation you were talking about? Sure. So the Women's Health Protection Act um, is a bill. And as I mentioned, it has been um, a bill that's been around for several years. It would actually bring, first of all, it would protect the right to abortion in every state. So that bans like the one at issue in the Mississippi Supreme Court case and the Dobbs case, um, that would just not stand, right? So this would make protections across the United States. Um, it would also um, allow state, uh, it would allow just equal protections across the U.S. Um, when it comes to abortion. So I think that's really integral for people to, you know, reach out to their congresspersons and let them know that they support WIPA or the Women's Health Protection Act. And I'm going to seg over to Roseanne to talk a little bit about you know, kind of the potential in state courts and state constitutions. So feel free to talk about Texas or what you've seen in other states. Sure. So um, as we said, my intro, my name is Roseanne. I use she, her pronouns, and I work at Jane's Due Process, which is based in Texas. So when we think about like remedies on the state level, that's definitely what I think about, um, especially living under SB8. 
these anti-abortion laws are coming out of state legislatures, which means we can also find solutions there. It is going to require a tremendous fight to take back statewide offices and state legislatures. Um, but in some of the states where we're calling haven states or where people are going to go to get abortion care when it's illegal in half of the country, it's because those states have passed constitutional amendments or have passed laws that really codify the right to abortion. And so looking ahead, it can be a fight that also happens on the state level. And that's why it's incredibly important that people pay attention to their next state legislative session. And if you're a Texan, that starts in 2023. So I'm going to shift over to the enforcement of abortion bans. I'm going to stick to you, Roseanne, because we already have a preview of what's going to happen here in Texas. So what have you seen with how folks are getting investigated or how what what is the lay of the land? What does it look like for folks who are trying to access abortions in Texas? So we can preview that for folks across the country. Sure. So I would say that one of the hardest things about Texas's current six-week ban is that people don't even realize they're pregnant. So I think a huge thing to start considering is being aware of your risk of an unintended pregnancy and taking all the precautions you can. And I, I want to say that from an access place, I know that's really hard. I know that just because birth control might be legal, it doesn't mean it's available to everyone. For example, I work with teenagers. And in Texas, if you're under 18, you cannot consent to birth control without your parent or guardian's permission, unless you go to a federally funded Title 10 clinic or another like exception place where you could get confidential care. So I think knowing if you are sexually active that you are going to have contraception that works for you. And when that contraception fails, having emergency contraceptives um, available to you are incredibly important steps you can take. Another thing to consider is being more aware of your period, especially if you're someone with an irregular cycle. That being said, people are also getting tracked for their pregnancies now, and we've definitely seen that. So many of us use things like on our phone, like a period tracker. If you live in a state that is about to ban abortion, if Roe falls, it is dangerous to record things like that. So use a paper calendar. Consider other ways to track your cycle and how often you have your period. I mean, I know this is really scary to say these things out loud, but it's important to think about your privacy when it comes to your reproductive health decisions. And I was just going to plug as well. Um, ACS's Broken Law did an episode on surveillance and reproductive rights that terrified me, but was so amazingly informative. So I hope y'all go to Broken Law and listen to that episode that dropped just this week. Um, I'm going to switch over now because you answered my questions already. So I'm moving on to my outline. Um, we all know the pro-choice, pro-life dichotomy when it comes to narrative around abortion. But you know, we're not really going to win over anyone by relying on the same messaging narrative. So do y'all have thoughts on what you think the narrative on abortion should be in 2022 and beyond? Why don't we start with Jenny? <laughs> sure. I think that the dichotomy that you described has never worked because um, they're just terms, I think, that have been adopted. And it's really important to kind of think and break through that mold. Um, prior to this decision, after this decision and definitely beyond 2022, right? Um, at the end of the day, this right is about who gets to control your life, your body, your autonomy. And that really means that it is about everybody, right? And I think that by kind of bifurcating it, you've created like two sides of it. Um, and that just really doesn't work because it is 
every single person, whether you know it or not, right, um, has been affected by this right. It is the right to control your body, the ability to make your own medical decisions um, in the absence of government influence. And I think that's really key. Um, if the court overturns this decision, it's really inviting the government in. And at least from the leaked draft opinion, right, we saw a blueprint in which so many different rights would be um, at stake. So I do want to really say that, you know, I think I've heard, you know, here and there like, oh, well, I'm too old. I'm not going to have an abortion. I'm past my reproductive age or I live in New York and that's a quote unquote haven state. Um, I really want folks to kind of take a pause to kind of think outside of that narrative, not just the, the pro-life, pro-choice dichotomy narrative, but outside of this narrative that it's about a singular right, um, because it really does touch upon so many other rights um, that are fundamental. And it's the leaked draft opinion has made it really um, quite a, a dangerous thing to, that might touch upon other rights as well. So I really want to kind of expand upon that. Um, Jenny just said everything so beautifully, and I, I have not too much to add. I mean, I think the other piece around abortion is abortion stigma. I think because there was this bifurcation of either you're for or against it, it meant that people who have had abortions are ashamed to talk about it and feel deeply stigmatized. Sometimes they don't tell anyone that they had an abortion. And so to reject that stigma, I think, will change the narrative. Um, I think we're already seeing it. When the leaked draft came out, I saw so many people start talking about their abortion stories. And this past week, actually on Twitter, um, Advocates for Youth and um, We Testify, which is an abortion storytelling group, did a whole day of people sharing their abortion stories to, to really destigmatize this. Destigmatize this. So I just have a lot of gratitude to um, people who share their story about abortions and why it helped them. And also, I want to name that it's really scary right now. And if you're someone who's pregnant and needs an abortion, um, there are resources for you. There's help for you. Um, and don't be frightened um, because no matter what happens at the courts, people show up for each other and we are going to take care of our communities. And I'll throw another reminder out there. One of the homework assignments that we gave during our uh, broken law recording was to try to say the word abortion once a day. Bo you know, brownie points if you say it multiple times a day. So this is your check-in. Did you say abortion once a day? If not, do start, start today. Um, in, another question I'm going to ask is, you know, what do you wish people were doing or taught? So y'all are both clearly in the repro justice and repro rights space. And there are a lot of folks who aren't in this space. What, and who are progressive and maybe not, like what do you wish they were talking about when they're talking about Dobbs or in a post-Roe world? Like what do you wish they were doing or saying or messaging? Like how do we, you know, make sure that they are getting the right message and, and following from your cues and the great work that both of y'all are doing. I'll hit, I'll go with Roseanne first this time. Sure. So I know that we're framing this as, especially since we're attorneys, a Supreme Court decision and there's all this focus on the law, but I think we need to really talk about the people. Who is going to get left behind when Roe v. Wade is overturned and abortion is banned in 25 states? I live in Texas and I constantly think about the clients we have there. Like we have pregnant teens we're working with right now who I'm concerned won't be able to get their abortions in a week or two if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So the people part of this is the most important part. And I think that's what I want to see more of both in our legal circles as we talk about the decision and also in the press and the media. 
Yeah, and I really want to echo that because the aftershocks that um, we've been describing about what could happen if Roe is overturned, the fact that there are 13 states that have trigger bans, the fact that there are 11 pre-Roe bans so that half this country could look really different. That's already happening in states like Texas, where Roseanne um, is working very hard day in and day out. And I do want to highlight a neighboring state um, in Oklahoma, where a total ban has been in effect since May. And I cannot tell you how difficult it is um, for the providers and the patients there. Um, you know, staff members have talked to us about walking through their clinics where the hallways are empty and they're not able to provide health care to people who desperately need it. Um, and that is really, really devastating and the picture of something that's happening in one state. Um, so it's really important um, to elevate up these stories um, and to know the real life harms that are happening. But also because I'm a lawyer and a litigator, I do want to say that if Roe is overturned, that is so disturbing because the rule of law will have been disturbed. Um, it is the first time in the history that the U.S. Supreme Court will have taken away a constitutional right, one that has been protected for 50 years, five decades so Obergefell is only seven years old, right? So I just want folks to sit with that, that this would be the first time that the U.S. Constitution would not, would strip a right away. That is so, so hard for me um, as a lawyer and a person who lives in the year 2022. It is also, would be the biggest loss for women's rights in the history of the United States. And Americans have never lived in a world um, in which this right did not exist um, since Roe. So there's two generations um, that have since passed and multiple to follow if this decision comes out um, where Roe is overturned. And all of that just is incredibly, incredibly harmful on the ground, harmful both in concept and harmful to people um, who are living here today and um, for folks to come. I just need a moment because that made me want to cry. I'm sorry. I've seen you getting teary and I, I'm getting teary. Um, so I think folks need to sit with that. That was, that was a lot and it was really powerful. And, you know, that's a really strong messaging tool to take back to your communities, listen to the work, you know, that these amazing folks do and, and elevate this, elevate abortion stories, elevate the messaging that you're hearing. Um, I realize now that maybe we used a term that people don't know, so I'm going to go backwards in this conversation a little bit, I'm sorry, um, to just, I used repro rights and repro justice early, and they are different things. So Roseanne, if you could maybe explain that and we can help folks understand the differences and so that can guide how they talk about these issues in their communities. Um, we say this a lot at work right now, but it's totally okay to cry. <laughs> um, this is really sad, and we are all, um, especially sitting around here, women who are thinking about this, but even uh, naming that, that not just women have abortions, that is actually something that is brought to us through the reproductive justice framework because trans folk and LGBTQIA plus folk have abortions too. So when I think about reproductive rights, I actually think about the incredible work that Jenny does and that so many of our um, attorneys do, which is to protect the legal rights to reproductive health. So that is the right to abortion, the right to contraception, um, you know, the rights of pregnant people when they're giving birth, um, those things have to be codified into law. Reproductive justice is actually a framework that was brought to us by um, 
black feminist organizers in the 1990s who said that the rights are necessary, but they don't protect all people because you also have to actually access all those things. So it's one thing to say you have a right to abortion, but can you afford the abortion? Um, It's one thing to say you have the right to be pregnant, but what if you are um, a black woman and you're raising a black child in America who can be at risk of police violence? Um, So I think reproductive justice is really powerful because it lays out the intersections of race and gender and economic justice and calls us in to really actualize reproductive freedom, not just to protect a right. Um, And I really want to name that when you think about Dobbs, because think about the state that's in question here. It's Mississippi, which is a majority black state. And the organizers there are reproductive justice organizers, all led by black women and black organizers, Um, the clinic staff there, the providers there. This is done by the black community. And so when we think about reproductive justice and Dobbs, it intersects so deeply. And it's also who's going to get hurt. Um, I see that at JDP because about 80% of the young people we help identify as people of color. Um, So we know that inherently abortion bans are racist and that they target communities of color most deeply. So reproductive justice and rights are important to work together because without the reproductive justice framework, we're not considering what communities are most harmed. We are nearing the end of our Twitter space conversation. So I want to give y'all both an opportunity if you want to add anything else before we close out. I'll go back to Roseanne and then Jenny. Yeah. So I think the big question when you're having this conversation is like, what do I do? Like if a friend comes to me and says, I'm pregnant, I need an abortion. Can you help me? What do you do? So I would say the first thing to consider is go to organizations like, um, or go to websites like INeedAnA.com and AbortionFinder.org. Both of those are great websites that list out all of the abortion clinics across the country. They are going to be kept up to date, including after the Dobbs decision to let you know which clinics are open. They also will list uh, abortion funds, which are incredible organizations that help people pay for their abortions because there um, are insurance bans against paying for abortion care on the state and federal level. So your insurance might not cover abortion care. So it's important to know if there's an abortion fund you can work with and the National Network of Abortion Funds on their website, you can find out your local fund and clinics can also give you that information. The last thing I would say is it's going to be really important once again if you are helping someone who's traveling across state lines for abortion care to really think about technology and safety. Um, So if you live in a state where abortion is going to be legal and you have a friend who needs to come there, you know, be mindful if you can do all that research for them, have conversations by phone. Um, If you're going to be texting about things, use apps like Signal, which are encrypted on both ends, and you can set disappearing messages. Just really be mindful that it's going to be important to be a resource for people in your life. And if you use our tool of saying abortion every day, they're going to (laughs) know that you're a really safe person to talk to. That's great, Roseanne. Roseanne gave the very practical, so I'll kind of give a little bit of a higher level on this. Um, I do want to emphasize that um, if the court overturns Roe, this is not what the public wants. Um, After the leaked opinion and prior, polling has consistently shown that most Americans support Roe and do not want it overturned. Um, No one necessarily might think they need an abortion, but the reality is that one in four women have had an abortion in their lifetime, and it's a vital part of reproductive health care for people. So the ruling would be really out of touch with the reality of health care. It would be out of touch with the public and the public's needs. Um, and, you know, 
it, it, it is really something that would be bifurcated with the realities of what people's lives look like. I also want to urge people, to, I know it's hard, it's hard for me as a reproductive rights litigator, but to know that the fight has to continue no matter what happens to in this Supreme Court's term, right, um, and in this decision. Um, we're not going anywhere. This decision will not put the abortion issue to rest. Overturning Roe is not the end game for the anti-abortion movement. It is, um, you know, I think they've already been very clear that they're pushing for a nationwide ban and that there are more and more extreme laws um, that are being set to put, to put into place. So it's especially important for people and the public, just like um, Justice Sotomayor said, right, it's in our power. Um, and so do not sleep on this issue. Um, do not think that when the decision comes down, it's over. Um, it is a fight that will continue um, and, um, you know, know that you are with the vast majority of the public. Um, so I'll, Jenny made me think of something, so I had to go pull it up. Our um, ACS student board members, or I'm a Palias, said something on Tuesday at our virtual graduation that I just want to repeat again here. She said, if I learned anything during my time as an abortion rights organizer in Texas, it is that sometimes our only option is to imagine a better future and to fight like hell for it. And so I just wanted to say that again because I thought that was really powerful. And of course, also remind people to vote, vote abortion. Your voice does matter. There is so much at stake in this election cycle. We've said it so many times, right? There's Senate seats, governors, attorney general, state court judges, county clerks, DA. There is so much at stake. You vote abortion on all of these on all of these seats, um, and democracy works best when everyone is engaged. And there's more information. We encourage you to take the pledge to become a poll worker, get involved, our website, our Broken Law podcast. There's so many resources for you. So please, you know, reach out to us if you don't know where to start. Um, we, we're happy to direct you to resources. Um, but I think that is the time that I have for our Twitter space. Thank you so much, Jenny and Roseanne, for reuniting in person again for this at the 2022 National Convention. And for folks um, who are tuning in virtually, please join, you know, continue watching online. We have a really amazing program for y'all. You can look it up on the ACS National Convention page. And if you are here in person and listening somewhere else in the audience, I look forward to seeing you at some point today. <laughs> Say hello. <laughs> Thank so you. Much. Thank you. Bye.